This episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast is brought to you by TechSmith Academy. TechSmith Academy is a free resource full of practical information to help you create amazing videos and imagery. Check it out at academy.techsmith.com. Welcome to the If You Ask Betty podcast. This podcast is designed to discuss all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I'm your host, Betty Danowitz, and today we're talking with Judd Hoekstra about change management and L&D. Hi, Judd. Hey, Betty. Great to be with you today. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Can you can you help our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Maybe give us just a quick intro about you and even how we met? Sure. So I work with the Ken Blanchard Companies. Um, many people probably know our organization. If not, we're a top global leadership development company. And within Blanchard, I wear a couple different hats. So the first hat and probably the one that's most relevant to our conversation here today is that I'm a co-author of our Leading People Through Change solution. Um, and I've had the good fortune of co-authoring a couple books with Ken Blanchard, um, leading at a higher level as well as Who Killed Change. And then also one was sort of a bit of a random uh, connection, but turned out to be a wonderful experience with Major League Baseball pitching coach Rick Peterson on how to be your best under pressure. And that book is called Crunch Time. Um, the second hat I wear within Blanchard is as a sales leader, and I've got responsibility for revenue and profitability within the eastern region of the United States. And the part I love about that role, kind of in combination with the other hat that I wear, is that I've got the opportunity to put into practice the solutions that you know that we have within Blanchard and that we certainly are implementing with our clients as well. So I have a great appreciation for um, you know the the practical realities of implementing any learning solution because I'm kind of the the target audience, if you will, of of the learners that we're delivering our our uh, solutions to. And as far as how we met, Betty, we we um, met about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, and um, we were we were frankly in an opportunity where we were looking to bring you into the Blanchard organization um, back about a year ago and all the steps were in place and you and I grabbed dinner and had an informal interview and um, then COVID hit. And so the world changed for both of us and for everybody else as well. And so we had to put a temporary hold on our hiring plans. And, you know, I say with a big smile on my face that, you know, fortunately it was just a temporary delay and that we were able to, you know, bring you into the organization at the end of last year, beginning of this year, and thrilled to have you within Blanchard right now. So um, proud to call you a colleague. Thanks, Betty. Oh, thank you so much. I, guys, just so you know, I did not put him up to that. That was that warmed my heart. <laughs> um, and we did. We did. We met about a year ago. We had a burger and fries and um, just kind of just kind of wrapped about leadership and change management. I remember having a nice conversation with you about change management. I was like, Hey, I want to get you on the podcast. And then like you said, COVID, um, that's all you have to say now is just COVID because it just stopped everything. The ultimate derailer, right? Yes, it really was. But we seem to be chugging along and I'm so excited to be part of Blanchard family. So today we're talking about change management and L&D. And as you've sort of already demonstrated, you you have a deep understanding of both worlds, both L&D and change management. I mean, you did author two books on change management or co-author, the same thing. Um, So tell us a little bit more about that, though. So we know that you authored the books, but how did you become an expert on change management, especially when it 
comes to the L&D space? Like sort of what brought that expertise to you? Yeah, it's um, it's been an adventure, actually. Uh, when I look back on it, I, it's one of those things where I, I never put the plan together. Um, and it kind of worked out with me just being excited about the next new opportunity that was available. But when I came out of college, my first job was actually with, um, it was with Anderson Consulting at the time, which is now Accenture. And I, I worked in their change management practice and worked there for about about a dozen years, a little less than a dozen years, and had the opportunity really to work on large-scale change initiatives with clients across a, a wide variety of industries and a wide variety of different types of changes, whether they were large-scale technology implementations, whether they were business process reengineering, you know, org design changes, merging of organizations. So just got a lot of exposure during that period of time and ended up working, you know, toward the end of my time at uh, Anderson Consulting, working on their change management methodology. So it was one of the people who was kind of writing, uh, you know, the, the playbook, if you will, for the consultants that were out there in the field doing doing the work that I've been doing for the first dozen years. So that's where I gained the initial experience. Yeah, right out the gate, you kind of jumped in and started working with change management. Yeah, yeah. and. You know, as you as you likely know from your experience, Betty, just about every large scale change initiative that goes on in an organization has some, you know, um, I'll call it training or learning and development component to it. So mm -hmm. in my view, learning and development is a subset of change management. Um, it's pretty I've actually never been on any change project or change initiative in my life that didn't have some L&D component to it. So mm -hmm. um some of them done much better than others. So I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly over the course of my my time. And what I begin to realize is that the number one point I I, I go in with sort of this lens of every L&D initiative has, you know, it is a change project in one way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And it might not be a gigantic change project. It might be affecting a single individual. It might be affecting a small team, or it could be affecting a whole organization. But, you know, inevitably, the a common denominator across change management and across L&D is that you're trying to change people's behavior, mm -hmm. you know, to the benefit of themselves as well as the organization. Agreed. And I like how you put it that L&D is sort of a subset of change management. And that kind of leads us into the next question I have for you, which is what is change management? Because this could be the first time some of the, some that are listening have heard that term. So let's just, let's just out the gate, go ahead and define it. Like, Help us understand what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, that's that's really smart because I think there actually are probably multiple definitions out there. I mean, in its simplest form, the way I like to think about it is it's the people side of any change initiative. So, you know, regardless of the change initiative, there are a lot of times that, you know, there are a lot of resources and time and energy are allocated toward the technology or toward the process components of a change. And the people side can be an afterthought. And, you know, a little bit of the, you know, stepchild, forgotten stepchild syndrome uh, from from the people side. But the people side is, is often sort of the last thing that's thought of. Okay, oh, we actually need people to use this technology. We actually need people to follow the new business process. And it's kind of added in, you know, late in the game. And so think of change management as, you know, 
what are the actual behaviors and thought, you know what do we what do we want people to think differently and do differently as a result of this change initiative mhm so okay so then let's connect that to what does change management uh have to do with L&D i mean cuz isn't our job just to like burn and churn learning solutions is that not is that not it or <laughs> well that's part of it um i think that you know what's interesting from my perspective is the the L&D function or industry is littered with lots of failed initiatives and you know the 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 churning and burning of solutions there's a lot of great solutions that have been built um but you know the 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 missing component was we didn't win people's hearts and minds and convince them that this was going to be worth their effort to actually mm-hmm. think differently and do anything differently and so as a result maybe they even really liked the learning experience that they went through they maybe marked it as a five out of five on the smile sheet and they they felt good about it, but then they got back to their job and they didn't do a single thing differently. They didn't think any differently. They didn't do anything differently. So from my perspective, one of the links I make is, you know, change management is about doing, you know, it's taking, it's taking it from learning to doing and in, in the on, on the job application piece. And so if you're missing the change management piece, you might get really great learning. You might not get any application. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I think that's so true because you haven't won, like what you said, their hearts and minds about the change. And that's needed in really every change. I know that it sounds very touchy-feely. It's very um, emotional, right? But any change is emotional to the person who's being changed or being forced to change or asked to change either way. So even if it's something like moving from Skype to Teams, which I'm sure a lot of people uh-huh. uh, recently have had to do that, either move from Skype to Teams or or some other instant message platform to Teams. Like even though when you get there, you can see that Teams has things to offer that your previous platform didn't. It's still if you're not if you're not bought into it, you're gonna it's gonna take you a lot longer to actually embrace how it could make your life better. Because you haven't, we haven't won over your hearts and minds that this is a great idea. And so even something as simple as that requires that element of emotionally helping to manage people through the change process. You're exactly right. You, you nailed it. I mean, I think we have this propensity to jump into planning and implementation before mm-hmm. we've actually made the case for why we should even be doing this in the first place. Um, and it's a desire. We, we all want to, you know, we're moving in a faster paced environment than ever before. You know, everybody wants to be moving at warp speed. And, you know, in, in many cases, you've got to slow down on the front end to help people even understand what is the change you're even asking me to make? Mm-hmm. You know, how does it affect me? You know, how do we know this is going to be successful? Are we going to test it? You know, who's been involved? Who's been involved in the decision-making process? Are they people I trust? Like, these are all the typical kind of questions that people have as they go through the change process. And in most cases, organizations just, you know, speed through those. They don't answer them real well and they try to get into the implementation and then they wonder why they don't have the buy-in that they need. Yeah. And and even when it's a change that you, that the organization has to make, whether or not they can answer the why it's a good idea, sometimes the answer to that is because this platform isn't supported anymore. Um, I can, I can remember at a, a previous employer we we changed LMS systems. I don't know if you've ever been through something like that, but <laughs> whew, it's rough times. And yeah. I, I was on the infrastructure team, so I was deep 
you know, in the weeds up to my elbows in this change. And we had to change because the version we had was no longer supported. And we didn't want to purchase the versions that were supported. So I think like we were on like version three and they were just now rolling out version nine. And so the company decided that we had to change and we were going to build our own LMS. (laughs) (laughs) This company, by the way, had 22,000 employees. Like, uh, Like that's legitimately how many employees there were. So because we didn't really ever hear this is why it's a good idea. This is the reason. And then we didn't continue to hear that as you're supposed to do when you are moving people through a change, you know, continue to put in front of them why this is a great idea and what we're really after. It was like a herd of turtles trying to run through peanut butter. Like Uh it was just slow and painful and exhausting. And um, some folks that I worked through that with are probably listening to that right now and just like raising their hands like, amen, sister. (laughs) It was it was tough and it continued to be tough even after the change. I mean, a year after the change, we're still really struggling. And it's because I really believe that a lot of it is because we just didn't know or understand why it was a good idea because we just had to. And that's that that's that's a that's a big missing piece in the very beginning of any type of change. Well, it's it's kind of you know shocking to me, Betty, that um, in most cases. Um, I've had the the luxury of probably working on over 50 different change initiatives in my career. In most cases, there's really solid rationale as to why the change is needed mm-hmm. and what's wrong with the way things are now, why the status quo isn't viable anymore. Yet that rationale that was, um, yeah, part of the part of the reason that the change was initiated is rarely shared with the people you're asking to make the change. Mm-hmm. And we can handle it. I just want to I just want to say that we can handle it. Like, I mean, and granted, if it's, you know, if it's like, if it's like terrorism or the safety of the world, okay, maybe we can't handle it. I agree. There are certain things that maybe we can't, but for the most part, we can handle whatever it is that you use to make that decision. And it would help us to get on board. Sorry, I just got really excited. Yeah, no, there's a quote um, from an executive that we work with that says, you know, how do I bring people on board in a change effort? You know, I assume I work with smart people. I share the same information that led me to think the change was necessary with them. And I assume that when they have the same information, they're likely to come to the same conclusion. Yeah. And I would bet money on that. Novel idea, right? Yeah. Novel. Let's just talk about why you decided to do that. This, I don't, okay. I don't know why we have to hide that. Anyways. Okay. Back, back. Thank you for letting us go down that little, that little, uh, sure. and I think I said it wrong. Burn and churn is it churn and burn. I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I am I am notorious for, you know, coming up with um little sayings and just saying them backwards. <laughs> it's fine, keeps everybody. Knew what you meant. Yeah. So okay, so what what does change management look like in L and D? And and I ask this because maybe we're already doing it and we don't even know it. You know, how how do we how do we know if we have effectively considered and intertwined change management? in our learning solutions? What, what should we look for? Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's an awesome question. That I'll, I'll reply to your question and share a question that I often ask um, you know, the clients that I work with. And I'll say, what is the most successful learning and development initiative you ever, you've ever been part of that truly changed people's behaviors and positively impacted the results of the organization? And if you ask that question, you pretty quickly realize 
not everyone's even got an answer to that. They, so there are some people that might have been in the industry 15, 20 years, and they don't have a single example they can point to that had, you know, really changed people's behavior and had a positive impact on the organization. That's kind of scary. But mm-hmm. for the people who do answer the question, they and I say, you know, it doesn't have to be leadership development, even though that's the space that Blanchard plays in. I said it could be any learning and development initiative. And some some people might answer, you know, I was I was part of this sales training that really worked one time. And I'll say, great, you know, tell me about it. And they'll say, well, um, we, we launched a new sales process. And um, I said, who was involved in the launch of it? Oh, the VP of our, our sales organization, the, the, the head guy or head gal. And okay, um, you know, tell me more about it. Well, we, you know, we got the managers on board and we made sure that they were, um, you know, a big part of the initiative and that they were not only going to the training with us, but that they were also, you know, going to be following up with us and making sure that we, if we had questions or concerns about putting this new sales methodology into place, that we, we had a place to go to for answers. So they start describing all these different aspects that made this thing successful. And none of them are shocking to me, and they wouldn't be shocking to anyone in your audience either. And you say, great, we're going to do the exact same thing that you just described, just with different content. So, you know, in Blanchard's case, we would say we're going to we're going to apply, you know, our leadership solutions, but we're going to do the same things. We're going to have that sponsor that you talked about. So what we've done is we've kind of codified, you know, five critical success factors for maximizing the impact of an L&D initiative. And, you know, I'll run through them quick and then I'll, I'll go back to them and, and we can kind of dive into each of them. But one of them is key stakeholder buy-in, second one, strategic integration, third, great learning design and delivery, fourth, follow-up and reinforcement, and fifth, measuring tangible value. So none of these things are things that L&D people haven't heard of. In many cases, you're exactly right. People are already doing some of these things. The, the challenge comes that if you if you are truly seeking those, you know, those initiatives that have the maximum impact and you're only doing, say, two of the five or three of the five, you're probably not going to get optimal results. And, and so if you don't have, for example, key stakeholder buy-in or you haven't, you know, the strategic integration is sort of linking it to things that the learners think are really important, like their personal goals or, you know, whether they're going to be up for promotion if they build these skills, things like that. You haven't done the job to link it, then mm-hmm. they view the, the the learning experience as maybe a nice to have, but not a must have. And you know that's when the the on the job application becomes optional as opposed to something that they see as you know critical to their success. So you know when you have those five things in place, which is really what anybody who's been part of one of these you know or more of these really successful learning experiences, they'll all point back to those various things to say they were you know they're they had those in some way, shape, or form. They may not have known it when they were doing it. They may have intuitively said, hey, you know, it'd be a good idea to, to get this person on board and to have this person be an advocate for it because, you know, gosh, if that person's an advocate, they'll sway a whole bunch of other people because that person's really influential. That's change management. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. People are probably doing it um, maybe intuitively and maybe they're doing parts of it. Um, or in some cases, maybe they're not doing it at all. But I think, you know, there's it's none of the things I mentioned are are new to anybody in L&D as being important. Yeah. And the, I want to highlight one thing uh, specifically that you said, and you talked about how if we haven't connected it to their personal goals, that it becomes optional 
And I just want to point out that that is an automatic response. It's not like they're sitting there thinking, well, this doesn't connect to my goals, so I guess I don't really have to do this if I don't want to. They just don't do it if they don't want to. And tell me, you know, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but it's not a conscious decision. It is just part of how we process things that if it doesn't connect to where where it is that I'm trying to, what it is I'm trying to do and where I'm trying to go, it, it falls into that margin of if I want to, I can. If I remember, I will. And it never hits that behavior change line. You nailed it. And, you know, I'll just share from a personal standpoint that I, I have a larger team this year than I've had at any point in the past. I've got, you know, 12 direct reports. And my word for the year, I did some reflecting, you know, over the holidays. I, my word for the year is prioritize because there's no way I can be effective if I'm spread really thin. And so, mm-hmm. you know, inevitably, I'm going to prioritize the things that I know that are contributing toward me meeting my goals and the goals of the organization. I'm not, and if I can't figure that out, if it's not obvious to me, it doesn't make the cut for me. And then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I go back to what I said at the beginning, I'm your typical learner, right? Like I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a leader in the organization that um, they want to make sure that the 12 direct reports that I'm leading are, you know, highly productive and highly engaged and that they're producing the results that the organization's counting on them to produce and, and that they stay with the organization and, and feel great about it. So, yeah, if I don't know it's a priority um, pretty quickly, it, it isn't a priority. Exactly. And it's it's funny because that makes me think about essentialism. You're familiar with essentialism? Yeah. Greg McCune. Um, mm-hmm. I just think is how, that's how you say his name. I don't know. I haven't met him yet. So when I do meet him, I'll ask him how to say his name. But um, for now, I think it's McCune. And anyways, it, you know, it, in essentialism, which I like to think of myself as an essentialist, now I don't always make decisions this way, but I do strive to. For me, as an essentialist, if it is not aligned to my goals, my values, where I'm headed, the answer is no. And and I remember reading that going, whoa, hold on a minute, buddy. Wait a second. Well, you can't just say no to everything that's not, you know, the direction you're heading. Oh, but you can. And yeah. it frees up a lot of your, your, just your brain power, right? Just your ability to think straight because you've not said yes to things that really are of no value to you and where you're going. And that sounds selfish. It's not. That doesn't mean you don't help other people because definitely helping somebody else, you know, will be aligned in what it is that you're trying to do. If, you know, if you've, if you fully establish what your mission is in life, generally other people are part of it. Hey there, I got to pause the show for just a minute to talk a little more about TechSmith Academy. I recently stumbled upon this awesome resource and I was very impressed. TechSmith Academy is a free resource full of practical information to help you create amazing videos and imagery. One particular course in the Academy is called Advice from Experienced Learning Professionals for Anyone Creating Training. This is not just hot tips, but comprehensive interviews with 14 experts. Experts like Bob Pike, Kara North, Craig Siebert, Debbie Richards, Joe Ganchi. Kevin Thorne, Tim Slade, and more. These awesome experts provide their personal insight for all aspects of training. This is just one of the many awesome resources that you'll find. Check it out today at academy.techsmith.com. Okay, back to the show. 
So, so I want to ask this question too, is as we're talking about change management, what it looks like in L&D. So we, we can put in some of these elements of change management. One of them we've already mentioned, which includes getting getting somebody who has influence to be in the front and, uh, you know, and, and show support for whatever it is you're trying to change. And another thing too, is, you know, making sure that as you're moving along the journey of change, you're, you're continuing to show support from the people that need to be that you've got people not only from the top, but inside that are socializing the idea and, and saying, hey, this is a great idea. We should keep going, those types of things. But here's here's my question, and I didn't prep you for this one, so forgive me, but how do we know when, to, when L&D stops in the change management process? Because you're absolutely correct that L&D is a subset of change management, which means that change management exists before we're involved and after we're involved. So how do we know where that ending point is for us? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, from my perspective, most people check out of the sort of the change management process too early. Mm. Um, So, you know, there there is sort of this before the change work that needs to get done. There's the, you know, as you're launching the change, and then there's the after the change has actually gone live. And most L&D initiatives are about, you know, kind of the the live event or live experience, um, or, you know, whether it be digital self-directed learning, it could be, you know, when you've completed your, and really that that's sort of the starting point, if you will, because people actually haven't applied their new skills on the job, their new mindsets and skill sets on the job. So if you haven't gotten there, which is really the outcome you were after in the first place, um, those mindsets and skill sets that change to lead to different business results, then you got to keep going. Um, and mm-hmm. That's where I think, you know, many of the L&D organizations that I work with, unfortunately, they're, they're sort of two problems. There's, they're under-resourced to be able to handle that follow-up and reinforcement work uh, because they may be training way more individuals than are part of the L&D team. So they just can't possibly follow up with all those people. Mm-hmm. But they also, they're not leveraging the existing infrastructure that's in place within the organization. So they don't tap into the fact that every one of those people that went through the training has a manager and that the manager is actually ultimately accountable for making sure that the, you know, that the learner is given opportunities to apply their new mindsets and skill sets on the job and that they're providing coaching and that the manager even knows enough about what the learner went through to be able to provide that coaching mm-hmm. or some other you know, coaching source, whether it be a, an HRBP or an external coach or somebody that can follow up and reinforce what was learned during the, you know, the actual learning experience prior to, you know, going back to on-the-job application. And post-learning coaching is change management. It is. It's the follow-up and reinforcement component of it. Yeah. And, and any type of sustainment learning is change management. So, you know, if you're out there and you're like, I can't ever get my line of business to go past just the initial offering, come at it from a different angle. This is change management. Get your HR people, your change management folks to back you up on this is that that sustainment training, those additional touches, those boosts. These are all things, all different words that people use for the same thing. Uh, that's change management. Um, like, for example, uh, I got a buddy. His name is Alex. and He runs a company called QNO. Uh, Q-K-N-O-W, and it is basically a dynamic email system that emails, you know, on a regular basis every day is what the recommendation is. 
a quiz question, basically, about something that they've recently learned. And then they answer the question. And once they've answered the question, they have an opportunity to go to some sort of internal wiki page or uh, other content that will help them get additional information. So it's continuously putting the information in front of them to help sustain the change that we're trying to make. And uh, I, I, I remember when I first talked to him about it, in fact, if you guys are more interested in that, uh, take a look back in the podcast list because I did have him on to talk about that. Uh, but that idea of that um, sort of drip after, like Greg, a lot of times we think about drip, I'm using all these yeah. words, all this jargon has happening before, which it does, but there's also dripping that can happen after that helps sustain change. Have you seen outside of like an email campaign or, you know, um, just regular touch bases with, with virtual, have you seen other sort of dynamic, innovative ways that people have helped to manage change with their L&D solutions? Yeah, you know, what? one of the things that I think is, a, again, it's an underutilized sort of approach is if one of the things the L&D group can do, no matter how few resources they have, is to is to figure out who is actually, you know, getting this and and successful with it early on. So who are the early adopters, the people that are experiencing some success and promote the heck out of, you know, what they're doing and the results they're getting. Because the way we think about change management um, within Blanchard is we think about, you know, there's sort of three attitude pools you can have toward a change. You can either be an advocate for that change, you can be undecided about it, or you can be resistant to it. Mm -hmm. And many cases, you've got a whole bunch of, think of it as a bell-shaped curve. You might have a small number of people that are really strong advocates of it, a whole bunch of people in the middle that are undecided, and then, you know, another small group of people that are resistant to it. When a change, when a learning and development initiative is deployed, and then you people go through the training, and afterwards, there's only going to be kind of that smaller percentage of people that initially adopted and are successful right away. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out who those people are, and you got to, you know, promote what did they do? How did they do it? And what results are they getting to the, the rest of that bell-shaped curve that's sort of in the undecided camp or maybe even the resistant camp to say, other people are having success. You can have success too. Mm-hmm. And it's that's, that's a change management practice that is totally underutilized um, to be able to, and again, one of the things we also teach is, you know, while it's critical to have, you know, top management support and buy-in, that's kind of table stakes that most people expect top managers to support the initiative. Yep. What what isn't necessarily expected is, you know, peer-to-peer advocacy. Mm-hmm. So, Betty, if you and I are peers and we both go this, through the same class and I'm in the undecided camp and you're an advocate for it and you tell me, Judd, you wouldn't believe this. Like, I tried this, you know, new conversation that we learned in, in the most recent learning experience. And after I had this conversation, someone came up to me and told me, they were thinking about leaving the organization before that conversation. And because of that conversation, they're going to stay now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, holy cow. Like, I better be having this conversation, right? Because you just right. convinced me that it was worth my time and energy to, to get off my duff and actually have the conversation myself. And these are not paid lobbyists. No. These are people that have seen the and understand the why behind it and uh, agree with it. And that's... That's important to to sort of outline because I don't think that I don't think that people always believe in the sincerity of that. I think they think that somebody put you up to this or are you getting some sort of bonus or spiff? I mean, 
I think that's a natural reaction from a lot of us, especially if we are in that very resistant uh, area and our friend comes and says, hey, I think this is a great idea. What? Who paid you to say that? Yeah. And and it's it's important that these are the folks that you're getting in there. They're not paid lobbyists. They are people who actually really, truly believe in it. And I, and I will add this. Sometimes the resistors can skip. They completely skip the indifferent phase and suddenly become advocates. And I'll give you a just a quick story about me. So at this organization that decided to change their LMS system, um, you know, and they wanted to build it themselves. They also had another project going on where they wanted to create uh, basically a database system where you could request courses or request courses, request classes, request sessions to be put into the LMS. And they first told me about it and I was like, that's stupid. I think, I don't think we don't need to do that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I didn't say that, but my face did, you know, and uh, <laughs> just be honest. And so then I was like, yeah, okay, well, that's fine. Let me know when you're done and I'll let you know what I think of it. So at the time, my boss came to me and was like, so here's the thing. We want you to lead this project. <sighs> what? You're talking about this thing with the database? And like, she's like, yep, we want you to lead the project. I said, what do you mean by lead the project? She's like, I want you to put together a team. I want you to find out what information it is that we need. And I want you to figure out what's the easiest way for the user to access the system and put it in. And then what's the easiest way for us to extract it and process it. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. And and I was like, uh, I don't really want, I don't really want to. <laughs> she was like, she's like, I know, but this is a really good opportunity for you to lead a team and show that you can do that and do that well. Cause she knew that I could. I was like, okay, fine. And you know what? I became like the biggest advocate because as I was put in charge of this, I had to stop and look at the why and look at the what and why is this a great idea? It's not that they hadn't told me. I just wasn't interested in listening. I liked doing what yeah. it was that I was doing. It was just a lot of change. And so once I got into it, though, and really understood that piece, I became the biggest advocate for it and took it, of course, because this is I'm a classic overachiever, took it farther than they even asked me to. And so I'm not suggesting that you take your biggest resistor and put them in charge of a project, but pay attention to what it is they're resisting. If they're just resisting change in general, it might be a good idea to get them involved with another advocate, of course, not by themselves, to, to get them to help sort of change their mind and in turn change other people's minds. Well, you, you just hit on a key concept we, we teach, which is um, there's a specific point in time that you do want to bring resistors into the process. I think mm -hmm. what we found is too many times the leaders are too focused on resistors right away and they spend all this time and energy when they actually should be identifying who are the advocates and how do we bring them on board mm -hmm. and have them serve as a larger change leadership team. So, but, but at a certain point in time, when you get into the planning process and you're close to piloting a change, you definitely want to have resistors for a couple of reasons. One is what do they see that I don't see? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to, they're going to poke holes in everything that could possibly go wrong, which is good to know before you actually pilot and go live. Um, the, the second thing is they're much less likely to criticize a plan that they were part of creating. Right. Absolutely. So, <laughs> probably in part why your boss was, you know, very wise to include you as, you know, as a project leader to, to, to be part of the solution. And it's a little harder to stand on the sidelines and criticize 
when you're actually in charge of the solution. Mm-hmm. It is. And when you name it and you get to, you know, build it, it's really hard to criticize it. You know, um, what was I going to tell you? Oh, uh, I'm just going to drop that boss's name. Her name was Jen Baker. She did uh, so much for me and to help me understand that I had like the potential to lead others. And uh, she gave me so many opportunities and she was so, so patient with me. So thanks, Jen. Appreciate you. Um, that was a long time ago. Well done, Jen. Uh, there was something else I was going to say. Well done, Jen. I could talk about change management all day. Uh, okay. How do you see current events? And I know I, I don't think I have to define for you what that is. Current <laughs> events affecting this need for us to include change management in our learning solutions. So t- today is inauguration day and I, and I won't actually go, I won't go political on you, but what I will talk about is sort of the, the VUCA world that we all live in, the, you know, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, and our learners are living in that world. And again, I, I, I do my best to sort of, you know, empathize and put myself in the shoes of the learners that, that we, you know, work with at our clients and, and deploy solutions to. And, you know, it, it, we're so time crunched, right? And there's so much competing for our attention. So I'll, I'll use that as the current event, if you will, uh, because it certainly is, uh, regardless of your of your political perspective, it, it, it is the current event is that, you know, we all have, we're all being asked to do more than we possibly can imagine doing. And we have to make choices all the time as to where to invest our time and energy. And so um, Scott Blanchard said this at an executive briefing that I was part of a couple of years ago, and he was speaking to L&D professionals. And he said, we've got to stop colluding with each other to deploy solutions that we know aren't going to move the needle. Mm-hmm. And as a function, we have we have you know, deployed solutions that we know aren't going to move the needle because we haven't done any of the change management work that we know is needed to, to allow an initiative to be, to be successful. And I want to be crystal clear, Betty, that I'm not asking for, you know, it, you need to scale your change management activities to the size of the initiative. So if, mm-hmm. if you have a smaller learning and development initiative, it doesn't need to be tons of change management resources put toward it. Mm-hmm. There needs to be some. If you have an enterprise-wide initiative that's going to really ask for significant amount of behavior change from masses of people, you better put more time and energy into the change management of it or you're or you're not going to get the results that you want. But it, it goes back to let's let's stop kidding ourselves and sort of checking the box and and doing those solutions that we know aren't going to move the needle. Let's actually, you know, if anything, deploy fewer learning solutions, but make sure the ones that we deploy are going to move the needle and really really focus our time and energy on on actually having an impact. Because if we don't, you know, people not only are are you know, we're not going to get the budgets that we want. We're not going to have the the resources that we want at our disposal to be able to do the cool learning experiences that are going to move the needle. Um, but, you know, we're, we're sort of never going to have that seat at the table that we really want and have the credibility that we want. Yeah, agreed. So, okay, so then what is our, what's the best way for us to brush up on our change management capabilities? Like what resources would you suggest? Yeah, well, I'll I'll steer you toward um, our website. There's a bunch of free resources in the form of videos and articles and webinar recordings and podcasts um, that are available at resources.kenblanchard.com. 
uh, backslash leading hyphen change. I'll give you that one more time. Resources.kenblanchard.com backslash leading hyphen change. And there's a bunch of free stuff out there that um, will allow you to kind of brush up on your change management skills. And, uh, you know, some of it will be similar to the ideas that you've heard here today, and there'll be some new things as well. So. Very cool. I think that's a great place to start too. And of course you can always, uh, we can always look up your books um, to find that. Just have to look up Judd Hoekstra and we'll have you spell your name at the end as a, as a, as an author. Okay. So as we are wrapping up, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions that I ask all of my guests. And so the first one is how do you align your passion with your work? Uh, that's such a cool question. Um, so my, my passion, regardless of what my job is, is to help individuals, teams, organizations be the best version of themselves. And you know, I say organizations that could be the, you know, my son's hockey team that he plays on. It could be, um, you know, something that my daughter's involved in. It could be some, you know, our church. That's an organization. It's just, you know, so goes well beyond the scope of work. But the cool thing is that, you know, I'm fortunate to work with a great organization whose purpose and values are totally in alignment with mine and with the passion that I have. So I get to, I get to bring the things that I like to do in my spare time to work as well. That's pretty cool. Uh, not everybody can say that. So that's pretty awesome. What is the message that you want to get out to our listeners? What do you want them to remember? It can be topic related or not. So I'll, I'll revisit one of the points I made earlier, which is, you know, think of your L and D initiatives as change initiatives. Um, and, and then I would offer you know, sort of a lifeline as well. Don't feel like you need to go at it alone. You know, if you want help, because this isn't something that you feel skilled in or that you have the resources, you know, feel free to reach out to to Betty or to myself. Um, we've got a, you know, a number of resources within our organization that can, you know, help you get those results that you ultimately want to get out of the, the implementations that you're deploying. Great message. How can people connect with you if they want to after the show? Yeah, the uh, probably the easiest ways are either on LinkedIn, um, Judd Hoekstra, and my last name is spelled H-O-E-K-S-T-R-A, um, or I'm at Judd Hoek, J-U-D-D-H-O-E-K on Twitter. So that, that probably those are the two two best ways. Well, thank you so much, Judd Hoekstra, for sharing your thoughts today, and thank you so much, listeners. Watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast soon. Peace out.